welcome to the Republic of Middle-Aged Men. Uh, as usual, you have your three hosts. You have myself, Timothy. You have Lachlan. Hey. And Ruben. Hey. Ah, so gentlemen, tonight is a good night because tomorrow none of us have to go to work. <laughs> because it is a long weekend in Australia and uh, it's for the Queen's birthday. Yep. It's the Queen's birthday. Happy birthday, <laughs> Your Majesty. That's it. Cheers. Thanks, thanks for the day of bludging. That's it. <laughs> uh, beverages this evening. Mm. I am drinking the odd bag again. It is the single malt Scotch whiskey. Um, so you know, bit awkward mentioning the Scots uh, <laughs> on the Queen's birthday. Yeah, here they want their independence again. Anyway. All good. <laughs> Just uh, let that one go through to the keeper. Anyway, what are you drinking, Lachlan? Uh, I'm on the uh, Sailor Jerry tonight. Oh. Yeah. Spicing it up for a change, hey? Nice, nice. Sailor Jerry. That's it. How about you, Rubes? Uh, beer. I've got Asashi. Ah. That is a good beer. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, I think. It's Even also... if it is Japanese. Well, is that? But it's also reasonably priced at the moment compared to a lot of other beers. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm not sure what the story there is, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> I will take it. It's uh, it's good beer and it's good price. So. <laughs> Too bad I can't run my car on it. Oh yeah, I know. It's cheaper at the moment, that's for sure. Yep, it's uh, pricey. The old petrol right now. Big time. So, anyway, well, let's uh. Let's, let's jump in. So for those of you joining us, uh, if you are joining us for the first time, uh, we are working our way through uh, the Enchiridion. Um, we're about, I don't know, 70% through? 60% through? That's called 60, yeah. 60, 60% through. <laughs> uh, you can get the book for, I think, a dollar or for free on Kindle. can't remember which. Um, and uh, yes, we are referring to the Kindle edition. So you know, if you're reading along, use the Kindle edition, and you should be able to follow us. Um, so anyway, we're up to section 34. So I'll read that out, and then we'll continue discussing. Uh, when you imagine some pleasure, beware that it does not carry you away like other imaginations. Wait a while and give yourself pause. Next, remember two things. How long will you enjoy the pleasure? And also, how long will you afterwards repent and revile yourself? And set on the other side the joy and self-satisfaction you will feel if you refrain. And if the moment seems come to realize it, take heed that you be not overcome by the winning sweetness and attraction of it. Set in the other scale the thought of how much better is the consciousness of having vanquished it. Hmm. It's not a bad uh, little way to think about, you know, resisting temptation. Yeah, picturing scales. It's pretty helpful. Yeah, I think, um, well, particularly, you know, maybe if you're um, someone who's, um, I don't know, let's say you've got a vice or something like that and you know you're a bit weak for something, having already imagined what it is to kind of give into that and the consequences probably helps to strengthen your resolve maybe when you get into that situation. I don't know. 
What do you reckon, Rubes? Oh, yeah. It seems like good advice. It's, it's stop and think. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know whether I should give this example, but it made me remember a bloke at work said he, he was telling me once he had, may or may not have had the opportunity to uh, indulge in a relationship with somebody who was not his wife. And I remember him saying, I remember him basically yeah. saying his response to that was, uh, yeah, but what am, <laughs> how's that worth it? He goes, 20 minutes, probably more like five, probably more like a minute and a half. And he goes, and what for? <laughs> he goes, what for? To, to, to destroy a, you know, a 10 year relationship with the, with the wife and, and you know, damage the children. So that was his reasoning, but that's the kind of reasoning he's talking about here. I think that's exactly the sort of reason he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, in that scenario, you would hate yourself for a long time afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I think it's good advice. Um, yep, for sure. Happy to move on if you guys are. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, these right. next couple are all pretty rapid fire, so... Uh... Boom, boom. Well, that's good after last week's ones. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> 35. When you do a thing because you have determined that it ought to be done, never avoid being seen doing it, even if the opinion of the multitude is going to condemn you. For if your action is wrong, then avoid doing it altogether. But if it is right, why do you fear those who will rebuke you wrongly? Now, when I first read that, I thought, oh, he's saying like to show off, but it's not what he's saying. He's saying like, don't hide it. That is the right thing to do. Is that what you guys thought? Yeah, like, why would you, if you're doing the wrong, sorry, if you're doing the right thing, why would you care if you're seen or not, if it's popular or not? If it's the right thing, it's the right thing. So, uh, you know, don't, um, yeah, don't worry about other people's opinions. If you know it's right, then that's that's what's important. Well, it ties back in with his whole ethos, isn't it, really, where he says, you know, don't concern yourself with things you can't control. You can't control the opinions of other men. So eventually, you know, he's basically saying, but what you can control is what you do and whether it's right and whether it's wrong, so do it. Mm. Damn the rest of them, basically. But um, I've made a quick note that he's basically saying that um, the reward for doing the right thing has got nothing to do with uh, praise or ridicule of men, but the attainment of virtue. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Again, I think that's a really self-explanatory reading, but it's also really spot on. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, mean, I guess he's, he's pointing out something that's true. Like sometimes... It can be difficult to do the right thing in certain situations. Yeah, I can't remember if it was, it might have been something from Meditations with Marcus Aurelius, but said something like, um, you know, for for all the, you know, the, the way that we love ourselves, why do we care so much about someone else's opinion of us or something like that? I can't remember exactly what the quote was. Um, you know, if you if you you should be holding yourself in the highest esteem and not worry about some guy. If you particularly if you're doing the right thing, but you're right, Rubes. It's not always easy to do that. You know, if you are going to get criticised and ridiculed, you could look at a, a politician absolutely in that situation, right? Um, mm. There's always going to be people who slam you, no matter 
what side of the fence you land on because there's always two sides, right? So, um, at least half the population is going to hate you. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, just get used to it <laughs> and do it just right. Well, let's keep going. Uh, I feel like we're on a roll. So, pew, pew. all right, 36. The phrases, it is day and it is night, mean a great deal if taken separately, but have no meaning if combined. In the same way, to choose the larger portion at a banquet may be worthwhile for your body, but if you want to maintain social decencies, it is worthless. Therefore, when you are, are sorry, when you are at meat with another, remember not only to consider the value of what is set before you for the body, but also to maintain your self-respect before your host. This one threw me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't I can't make the link between that first sentence and the rest of it. The rest of it seemed pretty pretty plain and simple, but I yeah. didn't get what you meant by uh, if taken separately it makes sense, but if you combine them, obviously it doesn't. It has no meaning to combine. Well, how do you? What does it mean by combine them? Like it is day night, or it is it, it is is day night. Like what is he talking about? When I he think combine. I don't know what he means. I think he's indicating that. Gluttony is the opposite to philosophy, or something like that. Like it doesn't; it's not compatible. You put two together, and it's stupid. That's kind of what I, I was I, thinking. I get, I get that from the second sentence. I just uh, see the link, which I suppose doesn't matter. It makes sense. If it makes any difference, um, the the modern translation um, says it a little bit differently. So it says. Um, the sentences, it is day and it is night, can have meaning separately, but have very little meaning together. Um, it's, <laughs> I, help me, it doesn't help you at all. Well, I think um, like you could sort of say like day and night, it's just uh, different phases of the same day, so it's the same thing. But, it, but you actually often compare day and night to being quite different things. You know, it's, uh, I, I don't know why that's useful in this comparison, but I think what he's saying is like something uh you know they're saying like food's going to be good for your body um but then you know uh, them being gracious to your host and not being a pig is also sort of useful but they're too i i don't, I don't know where he's going with this let's be honest <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> just, i, I think he thought he had a really good point to make here and i'm not quite sure <laughs> i think he's just, well, i mean obviously yeah obviously he's saying don't be a pig like you yeah. It might might feel like a good idea to pig out at the, at the feast, but uh, you don't want to be a pig in front of your host. Right, that's decent advice, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think we're missing something, and probably, yeah, it just it doesn't feel important enough to figure out what that something is. <laughs> well, I, I think the most well, I kind of think is to uh, describe when we're going around to each other's place for a meal together now to be calling it to uh, go and be at meat together so uh at meat. <laughs> I, like yeah. I actually think his analogy is a bit broken because he's like uh taking a large portion might be good for the body and i'm like if you're talking about a feast and a one-off no no i don't i don't think that's correct like you want to go and gouge yourself for one night like that's i don't yeah not seeing how that's really good for your body at all mm. Well, I don't know. I, I've I've often uh, enjoyed a lot of food at your place, room. <laughs> yeah, but nobody's claiming it's good for you, mate. <laughs> it might not be good for the body, but it's certainly good for the mind. 
yeah. Maybe this is like referencing uh, times when perhaps, uh, you know, food wasn't always easy to come by. And so it's kind of like, uh, I'm going to fatten myself up while it's on someone else's dime. <laughs> possible, yeah, possible. Maybe. Or, ordering oh, he was a slave. on the company card. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. He was a slave, yeah. <laughs> Could be. All right. Well, let's, <clears throat> let, let's jump to 37. Uh, if you try to act a part beyond your powers, you not only disgrace yourself in it, but you neglect the part which you could have filled with success. Um, there's a modern translation... Do not fake it till you make it. <laughs> no, it believe it or not, it's actually quite. Uh, it's more long-winded than the um, than this one. So um, rather than being oh, short, really? snappy, I'll give it to you if you like. Um, if you have assumed a character that's beyond your powers to carry out, then you have not only made a botch of that, making a fool or worse of yourself, but you've also neglected some more modest character that you could have carried out well. It's a very long-winded way that's of saying fine. the same thing. I actually, I think the old translation is clearer on this yeah. one. I'd agree. I'd agree. Mm. So, what do you think? Um, I, I, well, I get what he's saying. It's it's that coming back to everyone's got a, a role to play, and you know, it's the fates determine your role, but it's you decide how well you perform in that role. I just sort of took it as maybe not even maybe thinking about what your your job is, but it could just be some like particular skill set that you've got. And um, whatever it is, you should focus on your strengths and try and excel in them rather than sort of like making out maybe you could do something that's, let's say it's more complex or more glamorous, but you don't actually have the skills to deliver on it. So you're, you're actually bringing more to the table, focusing on what your skill set is than trying yeah. to take it above your station, I guess. Rather than doing something poorly, you could have been spending your time doing something you know you could do well. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all, it's all predicated on having like a, a clear and good sense of foresight of what your abilities are. Because if you know, if you're not, then it's sort of, it's almost like anti-ambitious, and um, it's like, it's like almost like he's uh, encouraging a fear of failure. But I think you've got to read it from a perspective that the person making the decision is correct about his, uh, you know, uh, his skill set. Yeah, they're pretty honest about their capability. Mm. Yeah, but I, I do think there is a, there's a potential for a problem there because some some people might be overly critical of their skill set, which they totally. won't find out until they actually uh, you know try something that they think might be too hard for them. So I, I don't know. I, I do think there's a risk there if you take that one too seriously. To uh, it could be sort of prohibitive of growth and uh, ambition, but. I think the thing is, though, too, because the environment we're in now where um, we do have a lot of career changes and people are encouraged to try something and failure is okay. <clears throat> and um, yeah. it's a different kind of philosophy these days, I think, around that sort of thing. But there's a lot more safety because, I mean, you know, a lot of times what's the cost of failure when you when you try something? Um, I think it was probably back then a lot clearer as to what your skill set was too, because there's a lot more physical labor. And then also in terms of like, you know, academic type stuff, you could either read or you count or you couldn't, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. Or you're, you're born into a trade of some variety. So, you know, you've been around a yeah. potter all of your life, pretty good chance you're going to be good at pottery. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's probably a lot more, probably a lot more static in terms of progressions back then. Yeah, mm. exactly. And we're back. Uh, we just had a little audio glitch we had to fix there. All right, gentlemen. Well, let's continue. Uh, let's go to section thirty-eight. I like this one. Uh, so I'll read it out and, and we can discuss as in walking you take care not to tread on a nail or to twist your foot so take care that you do not harm your governing principle and if we guard this in everything we do we shall set to work more securely have either of you ever trodden on a nail before? I have yep and it went straight through the thongs I was wearing and through my foot yeah <laughs> I've had, one hit, I've had one hit my foot in the ball of the foot, but it didn't go right through the foot because it went straight into the bone and uh, mm. that didn't tickle. I'll bet. How about you, Ruben? I have, but it, it barely went in. To, like it sort of just peeked inside the shoe. Like it didn't, no bone or anything. Ooh, nice. <laughs> so, we've all done that. <laughs> um, but have we trodden on our governing principle? <laughs> so, probably inadvertently I would say what what does he mean by governing principle I just, just think he means um, your own established morality or principles you live by and if you break your own principles for whatever reason you know that's what he's He's referencing, you know, you want to make sure you, you don't do that. You know, if you've taken so much effort to try and land upon them, why would you discard them so easily? Yeah. Is that what you think as well, Ruben? Yeah, I think so. I think it's also a matter of um, point, like consistency. Like if you have a governing principle and you don't um, apply it consistently, then it becomes meaningless. So I think that's another way you could probably, it's kind of saying the same thing, but slightly different. Well, I think too, like the fact he's calling it a, a governing principle is that it should govern your behavior because you've decided that's the principles you want to live by, right? Yeah. So and and the governing principle should be like the top one, you know, I'm guessing that sort of means the highest one, the absolute good, um, hmm. which is sort of very platonic again. Yeah, totally. The meta principle. <laughs> okay, all right. Makes uh, yeah, I think that's what he's yeah. talking about there. Hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Let's keep going. Look at this. Look at us go. We're pumping through. All right, thirty-nine. Every man's body is a measure for his property, as the foot is a measure for his shoe. If you stick to this limit, you will keep the right measure. If you go beyond it. You are bound to be carried away down a precipice in the end. Just as with the shoe, if you once go beyond the foot, your shoe puts on gilding and soon purple and embroidery. But when once you go beyond the measure, there is no limit. This one's a bit more confusing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't follow this one. Um, I've got it down a little bit. Um... It's uh, it's about modesty. So I think they're saying like with the shoe, you know, if the foot is the measure, 
it's like just stick to the necessities of what you need, right? That's what you need for a shoe, something that fits. If you start going beyond that and you're looking at the purple, the gilding, the embroidery and pursuing the fineries and things that you don't actually need, um, then there's no limit to your, I don't know, greed or wants. So he's saying saying your body is the same as the foot in that that's all you need to worry about dressing. Well, I I think with everything like he's sort of talked about before, it's, it's all about just taking whatever is necessary and no more living modestly and not, you know, exceeding you like don't have so many wants and you'll be happier. And, um, yeah, I think you're right. Cause the last sentence is for when, for when, once you go beyond the measure, there is no limit. So if you make it, and you see that with like kind of materialism type thing, you know, like if you, you get the best car, then you get bored of that. You know what I mean? Then you want the, a better one and a better one. I'm not having a gut lock with you. <laughs> <laughs> I have no moral high ground in this either. <laughs> it's like you're looking at the V8, but you really want the V10. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. But does your body you've fit beyond, a V8? You've gone beyond, yeah, you've gone beyond what you need and, and now there's just nothing to stop you. Look, I think you should take into consideration that your body has 10 fingers. Therefore, your engine needs 10 cylinders. Clearly. Just don't go beyond. Is- don't get a V12. Just stick to the team. <laughs> that that's that's good advice there, Tim. I'll uh, I'll stick to all that. over it. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. No, I think you, I think that's exactly what it is. Um, I do like the foot idea uh, because it, it's like it's it's a measurement we understand. Like if you buy a shoe that's too small, that doesn't work. If you buy one that's too big, it doesn't work. It has to be a Cinderella shoe, you know. <laughs> it's just a bit rich, considering one of his like you know one of his idols is Plato, or not Plato, Socrates. He wears and shoeless. Crocs, I reckon anyway. that. I reckon that dude never. Yeah, I don't reckon that dude wore, fit, wore shoes at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he we're just discovering beat, another. Beat into maybe, maybe we're <laughs> discovering some other book that he threw a sandal, and that's why he had no no shoes. all right well let's keep going um controversial time here we go all right number 40 women from 14 years upward are called madame by men wherefore when they see that the only advantage they have got is to be marriageable they begin to make themselves smart and to set all their hopes on this we must take pains then to make them understand that they are really honored for nothing but a modest and decorous life. What does he mean by smart when he says make themselves smart? What's the other translation say? Uh, yeah, okay. Attractive. So the modern one says uh, from an early age, women are taught to believe that everything they'll ever get will come from relationships with men. So they start with makeup and all the other exterior trappings. Men should show women instead that they're really valued for integrity and self-respect. Yeah, smart is like you're a smart dresser. You look smart. It's attractive. Yeah. Oh, well, the way Lachlan said it, that seems pretty okay. I'm happy with that. <laughs> but the well, way yeah, I read it the first time, I was like, oh. <laughs> but are they called Madame? No. <laughs> and why fourteen? Why not thirteen or fifteen? 
What was it, 14? Oh, yeah, yeah I remember that. Hmm. I'm guessing that's some kind of cultural thing, but... Yeah, I reckon too. Maritable age. It would be. Hmm. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's uh, interesting, you know, show respect for women, for the people they are, and... Um, I guess um, don't focus on just uh, trying to get your attractiveness up for uh, finding a husband or something like that. You know, lead with your character rather than your uh, finery. Well, if that's what he's saying, that's, yeah. that's pretty good advice, is it not? Seems like pretty sensible. I mean, for the time, it actually seems like really sensible advice because it's, it's a bit more pragmatic and thoughtful, I would think. But, um, yeah. And, you know, I, I our, our old... I was going to say our old mate Glaucon would approve too because uh, he always didn't want people focusing on the beauty. You know, it's, uh, it's all about the character of the person within. <laughs> that, that deviant. The, um, <laughs> I mean, so people these days might take issue with we must take pains to make them understand. That's that's probably not a politically correct way to say it now. But... Yeah, it sounds like you've really got to spell it out, right? The way they've written that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're in the process. At, at, at the time, it's probably pretty forward thinking, you'd have to say, I reckon. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it ties in with everything that he carries on about, you know, that, you know, character is more important, virtue is more important than the, the outwardly things. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's keep going. 41. I like this. It is a sign of a dull mind to dwell upon the cares of the body to prolong exercise eating, drinking and other bodily functions these things are to be done by the way all your attention must be given to the mind I disagree I, I disagree with this one <laughs> <laughs> I think this is going back to Socrates with his uh, jocks versus nerds arguments <laughs> I think he's just saying this because he's got a bung leg yeah. <laughs> a bit jelly yeah. of the guys down at the beach pumping weights yeah. doing their volleyball Maverick and Gusta <laughs> Top Gun <laughs> would have been called Top Spear back then I'm guessing <laughs> if you search that do it with safe search <laughs> oh boy <laughs> so is it a sign of a dull mind to dwell upon the cares of the body I'm not sure it is. Uh, it depends depends on what you mean by dwell. Yeah, I, you're right. I would just I, I assume I assume that when he says dwell, he's talking about letting it sort of consume you and not controlling that desire. So I'm not even sure Socrates would fully agree with him here because he was pretty adamant that you know being strong and doing gymnastics was like a must do. Well, yeah. he does say these things are to be done by the way, so it would depend on what he means by the way. He's not saying mm. don't do them. I, I think he means that that's like a natural course of being a human is that you will do this stuff, so don't focus on it. You, all your attention must be given to the mind. So he's definitely oh, saying yeah. the mind is more important. That other stuff will just take care of itself. Um, I think I think that's where he kind of goes a little bit too far to say all your attention must be given to your mind. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'd maybe be a little bit 
maybe take a bit of a middle ground and say that uh, your mind should be your priority. I guess to some extent, if you do look after your body, that's going to help your mind. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, you know, exercise uh, helps with concentration, releases all those endorphins and stuff like that, makes you feel good, makes you want to do more, um, gives you better sleep, better energy levels. All that stuff's going to help you do more stuff with your mind as well. Yeah. I think I'm going back to our friend uh, Socrates. I want to see the, uh, I want to see the balance. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I guess to some extent, he's almost saying that the, the the body exists for the sake of the mind. The mind doesn't exist for the sake of the body. That's probably a fair thing. Maybe I don't know. You could argue about that one for a while. Well, isn't probably. that the Futurama idea? Like they put the heads in the jars. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> take the, the fish food. That's right. But if you take the mind away from the body, there's nothing there. But the mm -hmm. body goes away from the mind, the mind's still there. I think it's that sort of idea. What's that whole thing, you know, they're talking about with like um, consciousness and um, what well, thing, and if it could um, could exist separate to the body. Yeah, a lot that's of that's true. And they, they're talking about simulating and uploading consciousness. That, mm, yeah, that's a, a, a sort of a tacit admission that uh, what you're trying to preserve is your mind, not necessarily your body. Mm. A, a, a lot of the AI guys I listen to, um, they're pretty sure that you can't have consciousness without a body. Oh, really? Yeah. Why is that? Yeah, right. Because um, it gives it a point of reference and particularly like mortality but also like consciousness is about um like from a human perspective we we're creatures that use tools and we're problem solvers and like the, the for example like our eye is designed to focus on a thing and get there in the easiest way possible and it ignores irrelevant information um so yeah a lot of the guys think that you need to have that body component so there's a self-awareness and that you're aware of mortality and how things can impact you and all that sort of stuff what if you so, existed yeah. in a vr construct you'd still have a body though within that construct in, in a virtual body not a real yeah. one though yeah yeah to me that just sounds like you're presupposing an awful lot like oh, to me, I that sounds like it fully, but that's yeah. but to me, that like, to, that's what they think. That sounds like they're presupposing, um, oh, there's a principle, uh, tabula rosa or something. It is an idea that mind is a, a phenomena that's produced by the body. So kind of like your mind is a blank slate and then everything, you know, has to come from experience. Mm. Um, parapetetic axiom I think is what it's actually called um, but I think you have to presuppose that presuppose that principle I don't, I don't know whether you can actually learn that from experimentation hmm. I, don't, I don't know uh, well I'm only going I, off I, what you've yeah. just explained now so I don't know oh, either yeah. But... yeah I explained it horrendously because I'm not that's not what I do I've just listened to a few guys oh, me too. like Lex, Lex Friedman is big on AI and so is Elon Musk and Peterson talks about it a lot 
um, and, and like Friedman particularly like makes a distinction that you can have artificial intelligence for a specific task, but having like a generalist artificial intelligence is very very, very different. different prospect. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's his name? John Lennox said the same thing. Yeah, like it's like chess. Yeah, he draws you a distinction. Make... Yeah, he draws draws a distinction between um, yeah. I forget the terminology, but essentially what you're just saying, like you can, there's a difference between having a, a task orientated artificial intelligence and one that actually genuinely learns and thinks for itself. Mm. What, and I think, because uh, I was talking about how you can teach IA, um, AI um, morality. Mm. And they said actually a lot of human decision making revolves around morality or ethics. And that's something that's super hard to kind of teach because everyone's ethics and morality is a little bit different. Yep. Um, and inconsistent and, too. Yeah, it's not black and white. And mm. it's it's like for, uh, for com- a computer system, it needs to know where the line is and the lines yeah, are blurry right. in that sense sometimes. You know, like that, that whole thing about, you know, if you've got a a tram coming down the tra- the tram track and if you go onto the left track you're going to run over a, uh, a a child if you go onto the right track you're going to run over an old lady which one's the right one to run down yeah and so you know it's got to be able to make a decision yeah correct um i don't know i i think those guys that push that argument of things being the mind is just a pure thing in the body and then it's a blank slate I I disagree with it but yeah. I don't really know enough about it to argue it I I, well, I I would I mean isn't there examples of animals knowing things that they haven't experienced like birds knowing where to fly and turtles well, interestingly, when they're born on the beach they run straight into the sea like there's just things they do that's in their genetics you know? interest, yeah. yeah interestingly Plato in, I don't know how much we talked about it. Plato had that idea that learning is not learning per se, it's remembering. Hmm. I mean, I don't really understand that idea, but it's um, very contrary to the evolutionary perspective. Well, that's what that's but the it, idea Assassin's Creed plays with. They play with that idea yeah. about that your memories are genetic and that they're in, yeah. in your coding. Yeah. Yeah, because I know that I don't know where that example came from, but I've certainly heard it a few times about saying how like humans have that natural reaction, like you've never seen a snake before, but all humans instinctively sort of react and fear a snake, um, like the cats with the cucumbers. Mm. Yeah, that's funny. That stuff. I love watching cats with cucumbers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I have overheard a lot of the guys talk about how for real AI, they think it needs to be embodied into something. Hmm. Um, yeah. Interesting. Actually, the new Halo TV show kind of dips into this. Um, so spoiler alert for those who want to watch it. Fast forward two minutes. Do you guys mind if I spoil it slightly? Go for I it. couldn't kill it. Cool, okay. So... Um, do you guys know Halo at all? The character Cortana. No, I don't. She's an AI computer lady. Yep. So the way that they 
create Cortana is the lady that creates her clones herself um, to create the mind within the body and then after the body's only two or three days old so it's like a hybrid of cloning of the person plus the AI put together and then they have to kill that um, physical being to transfer its mind to digital because they couldn't create the digital AI mind without it having a body and a physicality first that's a really interesting idea Funnily enough, that was something similar that happened in that uh, Mike Myers series, The Pentaveret. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. I, I watched the first episode and got bored, <laughs> so I didn't keep watching it. I same, quite I enjoyed the same it. Thing. I did the same thing, but I pushed through because uh, on Lachlan's recommendation, it, it does get better, but it's done. Like, it doesn't get any, yeah. uh, it doesn't it, get any smarter. Yeah, no, it definitely doesn't get smarter, but it does get funnier. <laughs> yeah. There is there is one scene at a pool table with swearing that is just that like one of the best things I've ever seen on television, but super offensive in every way imaginable. But that's kind of the point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Worth watching for that alone, Tim. Uh, okay, I'll possibly coming back to what you're saying, Lachlan, about simulation. Were you alluding to like simulation theory there? Or what were you talking about? No, I, you know, I was actually thinking more, um, you know, that uh, not referencing maybe the TV show so much, but the book uh, Altered Carbon. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, I suppose they'd gotten to a point where they were beaming consciousness across the worlds as a more effective way of traveling between planets rather than sending the physical body. They would just download your consciousness and sort of beam it. And so you would then be like downloaded into a synthetic body or another sleeve, they, they would call it, which was just like an empty body and basically plug your consciousness back into the new body. Um, but what would happen is if people got broke in their life, they'd put their body into hock and basically sell their body and then they'd have to have their consciousness living in virtual because um they they they'd gotten so broke they had to sell their body and so they were perpetually living in virtual reality after that oh wow mm. okay this is a good show well the books the book is way better the books are show. much much better first mm. season of the show is really good second season is very average yeah yeah okay but, the uh, they got a lot of uh, they got a lot of uh, cool AI sort of stuff in there. The uh, um, one of the hotels there is an AI, so that it's owned by an AI, yeah. and you know it's uh, designed to to feed your every want and all that sort of thing. So and it's just hungry for your money and all that sort of thing. It's, it's quite funny. Some in, really interesting concept in that in that uh, book, I'd say. Mm. Definitely up your alley. Oh, oh, right. How did we get onto AI oh, from? Uh, so we got onto AI from a dull mind, <laughs> dull jock. I don't know. Let's re-listen to the episode later, and we'll get there. <laughs> uh, we're giving all our attention to the mind, Rubes. That's all you we need were. to know. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's let's uh, let's jump on to forty-two. So, when a man speaks evil or does evil to you. Remember that he does or says it because he thinks it is fitting for him. 
It is not possible for him to follow what seems good to you, but only what seems good to him, so that if his opinion is wrong, he suffers, in that he is the victim of deception. In the same way, if a composite judgment which is true is thought to be false, it is not the judgment that suffers, but the man who is deluded about it. If you act on this principle, you will be gentle to him who reviles you, saying to yourself on each occasion, he thought it right. All right, I I haven't read I haven't read this far ahead, so this is the first time I've heard this one. And what? I disagree. Yeah. Like plenty of time, I know guys that do the wrong thing, knowing it's the wrong thing, saying sure. the wrong thing, knowing it's the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I think like the, the first part's quite simple. You know, he's he's talking about it. You know, people are going to act in accordance to their own thoughts and morality, right? Sure. They may choose to break it but they're going to do it according to their own thoughts and, and morality. Um, some people might do something that's out of step with your thoughts and morality. And, um, you know, if they make the wrong choice, well, they're saying that they're going to suffer. I mean, they don't always, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah that, that's what his argument is. Um, he's would basically saying... Is, would it be better to say that people do... What he's saying is people will do what they think is good for them rather than in accordance with their thoughts and morality. So, I don't know. He says it's, he's almost, they think it's fitting for them. It doesn't necessarily say it, good. To follow what seems to be good to you, but only what seems to be good to him. Yeah. For me, the inference there is that when people act, they're acting because they think they're doing what is good for them. Or they mm. feel like they're doing what is good for them, but they might be wrong about that. Which we can see all the time. Like people, people do things all the time that are not good for them, but they probably think that it is. I don't know. Or do some people act and do things that this they don't think are good for them? This this reminds me of that conversation, Ruben, that I shared with you between Peterson and Bishop Barron about yeah, this is good what versus I'm, evil. Yeah, thinking. Yeah, and 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 Bishop Barron was like evil is just a corruption of good and people commit evil because they perceive that what they're doing is good or it's good for them in some way so you know even if it's like i'm getting revenge well that's good because i'm getting revenge or um, well they yeah someone's getting revenge because they think that they think the good there is justice or they're getting what is good you know they're getting justice which to them is good for them but they're just They might be wrong about that. So it's the pursuit of a good. It's just a corruption of that desire, which results in the bad thing happening, which is why he thinks having that viewpoint allows grace for you to forgive the other person. Because you can go, well, what they're actually seeking is a form of the good. They just have been deceived about what that is, which is essentially what this is trying to yeah, say it's a different way. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think it's helpful so you don't become bitter. Like, I think this is a good approach to ensure that every time someone does the wrong thing to you, you don't become bitter. But I don't think it's necessarily true all the time. Like, I, I think people mm. will intentionally be malicious and mal- uh, malevolent and do the wrong thing. Yes. Knowing it's the wrong thing. But I think... Uh, agreed. You, if but are they this... doing that because they think it's good for them? It's going to be good for them. So well, that's, they... the, that's the freaking rabbit hole that 
I think you can never yeah, right. go all the way. I, I know myself, I, I'm sure at some time in my life, I did a thing that I knew wasn't good and I knew doing it wouldn't be good and I still did that thing. I don't know how that fits into this. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I don't, that's probably not one we're going to be able to solve, but... Hmm. <laughs> well, I don't need to solve it. I'm, I, what, I, what I'm offering is, I, I think... <laughs> as a rule to apply to how you receive someone doing the wrong thing to you, I think that's a good rule because it will allow you to have patience for the other person. It allows the opportunity for forgiveness for the action done to you and it enables you to not become bitter towards that person. Yeah, I'd, right. I'd agree with that. That makes sense. It's interesting though that he sort of points out that the that if their opinion is wrong, he suffers and that he's the victim of deception. So do, do you think that means that, do you reckon they're talking about like sort of like divine judgment in the sense that they've made the wrong decision and they're going to get a punishment in the afterlife or something? Because I don't think everybody automatically, because they've made the wrong decision, gets uh, sort of punished, if you know what I, I mean. I think of it more like a, I don't know how to imagine a scoreboard and you, you know so as a philosopher you're you're in the pursuit of truth and virtue and all these things and so mm. you keep adding to your scoreboard of getting closer to virtue closer to truth etc etc so if some if you make a, if you get something wrong because you've been deceived you you've like lost points maybe like that's kind of how I'm picturing it I'm not sure that's exactly what he's saying but that's kind of how I can like that's how he's suffered is he's now been deceived therefore he's failed at doing philosophy maybe yeah is, it, is this like uh, the good place where there's like a perfect score you've got to hit when you uh, before you die so you can get into heaven oh, another yeah. very funny show it's a great that's show a that's a show, show I haven't seen it yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, Tim you'll probably like that one yeah. too Timmy Els will enjoy that one too, I reckon. So, the good place. Actually, yeah, you're right. Okay, that's one you can watch with the wife. Yep. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think you're right, Tim. It does. Um, it's giving you space to forgive someone, or maybe not forgive them, but to understand where they're coming from. Maybe so you aren't so caught up on it. Well, I think the next verse, or well, reading, whatever it is kind of hints at this too so I reckon we'll do one more and then call it a night what do you think sounds yeah, good go okay alright so the next one is 43 everything has two handles one by which you can carry it the other by which you cannot if your brother wrongs you do not take it by that handle the handle of his wrong for you cannot carry it by that but rather by the other handle that he is a brother brought up with you and then you will take it by the handle that you can carry by. Mm. So is this sort of pointing towards this? Like, I think there's an interesting idea, if, this is, if I'm reading it right, that for someone to wrong someone else, you need two parties, right? So, you know, you need two, two to, takes two to dance. And he's saying that you're sort of in it, you're in it together no matter what. So uh, even if somebody's wronging you in some way, 
it's kind of like a dual burden, which is I kind of kind of like this sort of analogy that he's saying that uh, between the between two people, you've got a burden you've got to carry, and you've got to use these handles to carry it. That's an interesting idea. I hadn't thought of it like that. Me either. Well, I have. I, like I said, I haven't read this far ahead, so I'm winging it. I don't mind that Absolutely. idea though. I like that. Um. Because that also points, as you were saying with the last one, it gives you a room for forgiveness. Hmm. I, I I pictured it like a handle with spikes and a handle that's smooth. And so like the handle with spikes, which you can't carry it by, is when you take it personally that they've done something wrong by you. And the handle that's smooth is where you just think, um, well, that person's my brother and they've been brought up with me, so I'll move forward by that handle. All oh, right, I've read it differently. I've thought there's two handles, one for you and one for them. But I, it doesn't actually say that. But I think we're kind of both onto something. <laughs> if we can somehow no, no, marry no, the no, two no, ideas think, together, I think we're pretty much um, where it needs to be. No, but from what from what from what's in there, I don't think my reading is available. Like from Because it never actually says there's one for you and one for him. That was just my... I just kind of pulled that out willy-nilly. But he, he says everything has two handles, one by which you can carry and one which you cannot. So it doesn't say that one handle belongs to one person or, or one handle belongs to the other. But I think you're right about that they're in it together. Yeah. So you can either choose to like try and hang on to the thing that's harmful or, or you can hang on to what's good. Well, it's, it's really, I think when you talk about carry, I'm thinking about like carrying forward the relationship. Like, yeah. And yeah. That, that's where carrying sort of is. And and really the, the two sides is just the, the, the two different points of view to look at it from. Um, you know, one, if you're feeling really coloured on a particular view, then maybe you need to try and change the angle, look at it from a different um, a different perspective. And that's how you'd be able to that carry he, forward. That he is a brother brought up with you. And then you will take it by the handle that you can carry by. What if it's like, um, so you got brother. a relationship between, you got a relationship between people, two people, right? Hmm. And if you're going to take it by a handle that you can carry by, once again, he's saying, there's going to be certainly certain things that you can control and thing, which is, and things that he can control. So if somebody wrongs you, like from the last passage, they might think they're doing, a, doing a good, you can't control that. So if you're going to handle this thing, you can only deal with your own approach to it and not necessarily theirs. I don't know, is that kind of what he's saying too? I think you're getting close. Is that the hand, yeah. is the handle that you can carry it by once again, like he says repetitively, your reaction and your internal feelings on the matter, what is that the handle you can carry it by, the way you react? I, I think it's like the however you can justify their position in some ways. Like um, so if it's not your brother or something like that, it could be a rival, right? And it, it could be like from that previous example and say, well, he thought he was right. And that's maybe the handle that you carry it forward by. Mm. Um, you know, he wasn't, or maybe he was, but you know, <laughs> he, wa he wasn't out there like specifically to, 
to try and um, smash me on this. He actually thought I'd done the wrong thing. And so he, he thought he was right. So whilst I'm pissed that that sort of happened, I'm not going to hold it against him because that that's actually, you know, he was justified in where he thought he was coming from, even though he's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I don't know. Or, or could it be that if, because he's always saying you got to, you can only do what is within your control. So if there's some kind of conflict, if there's something that you can do to change your behavior to resolve that conflict, then that's your handle. Hmm. I don't or know. if you can't, yeah, this one. you just put it down and you don't carry it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the you disagree. Got to carry that weight. No. All right. Let's go down to the pub philosophers. Let's do it. Alrighty, we're at the pub. So, let's use our philosophical minds. What is the correct number of cylinders for an engine? As many as you can get. <laughs> but does it fit the foot? <laughs> Stop talking about that. I don't, I don't want to have to justify my wants. <laughs> How would Glaucon answer this? <laughs> an cylinder, it might not be perfect, but it has good character. <laughs> You know, it's what they say about Ferraris, though, Tim. You know, um, you know, it's uh, it's all about what's inside. It's all about the engine. You get the body for free. That's what Enzo used to say. You're paying for the engine, you get the body for free. Yeah, he's Italian, though. I mean, I love Italian things. I've got my Italian motorcycle, which I, I adore. Um, but I also am afraid every time I use it that something's going to break. <laughs> Well, I mean, you got the best of both worlds going on there. You've got an Italian bike and a British car. So, uh, you know, either way, you're doomed, right? Cornerstone <laughs> of reliability and engineering excellence. <laughs> danger, danger. So a lot of people argue that the four-cylinder engine is the perfect motor. Uh, I think three-cylinder is the perfect motor. You think three? Okay, explain. Why is three-cylinder the perfect motor? because there's three cycles to an engine. So it means that it's uh, all sort of in synchronicity. Um, whereas a four cylinder is actually out of sync because you've always got one extra cylinder that's going to be duplicating something, but the other two won't be. So, so in, in any way, you could do it in series of three. So threes or six cylinders, I reckon um, that's, that's the way to go. Has anybody made a nine cylinder? I was just thinking that. I don't think so, eh? That needs to be a thing. I wonder what it would sound like. But it's interesting because you're now seeing uh, more three-cylinder motors going into production, which hasn't been a thing for decades, really, like aside from, you know, small Japanese K cars like like my little nugget. But And, uh, and don't forget the Triumph motorcycles, the Street Triple. They've been making three-cylinders for a long time. They're a beautiful motor. Yep. Yeah, they're supposed to be very smooth because they're, they're perfectly harmonized because it's um, always going through those same, you know, sort of cycles in step. So what is the correct number of rotors for a rotary then? <laughs> I'm just curious. What would that be on the same principle? 
I don't think you have that problem because the way they because uh, they're they're moving around in circles instead of going up and down. But they and still so, would have uh, a sequence of events, would they not? It, they do. Uh, so you know, as because it's a sort of funny shaped sort of thing, so it forms like little combustion chambers on the edges of the Dorito as it spins around. Um, so uh, I think the answer to your question, Tim, is as many as you can get. Because you can put as many, as many spinning Doritos in a uh, in a line, but they would still have a fire, and they would still have a fuel and exhaust and, and fire process, wouldn't they? Yeah, but I think each uh, um, each God, what am I going to call it? Uh, what would you? What would be? Let's say the top of the Dorito, the top of the triangle is twelve o'clock. Yeah. What happens for a rotary to do a complete cycle? Like what? It's one and a but half. It still follows the same around, sort it? of combustion cycle as a normal engine does, but just in a different way. Um, yeah, but like, so, but so does a two-stroke, but it's also in a different way. Like, what would what would it be? What is a two-stroke meant to be? Two cylinders for that reason. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe a two-stroke should be a two-cylinder. Hey, I think a two-stroke should be a two-cylinder. And a four-stroke, strangely, should be a three-cylinder. What should a rotary be? One and a half? Because it isn't it one and a half turns is a doesn't it, isn't it like I thought it was uh, two thirds of a turn is like a complete cycle. No, because I think there's three cycles, so it's like uh, fuel, then um, spark, and then exhaust. Fuel. Whoa. rotary expert <laughs> well you guys just laid out on me for like five seconds so explain again yeah i got the same i was just saying uh i'm not a rotary expert so uh, i'm probably talking out of my hat here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not either i just know that they sound amazing they do the and i want one but i don't want one because i know that they're hand grenades i'm in the i'm in the same <laughs> boat <laughs> so ruben perfect number of cylinders for a motor Oh, I don't really have a dog in this race. What do you want it to do? If you could have any car, how many cylinders does it have? Maybe that's the way to answer. I, I think I would. I think I would probably choose eight. Yes, that is the correct and only <laughs> correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why eight, but you put me on the spot. You want me to choose a number? To me, it's arbitrary. <laughs> you, you could have just been uh, throwing the cat amongst the pigeons and say actually it'd be an electric motor <laughs> how many cylinders does an electric motor have <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> well zero so I actually remember how I was saying we should go to the drag soon yes so last Wednesday night spontaneously just decided bugger I'm going took the kids and took my sister's kids who live in the same suburb as me so it was five children and uh that was different and uh we went up to watch the drags on wednesday night and um it was awesome it was so much fun and all the kids love the v8s when, when there's a big mm. v8 there roaring its head off it's very very exciting but there was a tesla there and it just ran 11.5 and 11.5 and 11.5 and 11.5 over and over again just trolling all these different cars <laughs> like that's pretty quick it's quick but it's, there's something boring about that like it's just 
sit here and it'll just go with no sound just yeah like a ship passing in the night now hold on you said yeah. that the eights was the favorite for the sound but how many tens or twelves ran the ran the drag strip i'm assuming there weren't many if any there was a chev an old 1950s chevy running 12 one that, <laughs> that was mad there was a yeah. ford cortina or capri some old boxy thing running uh 10 one that was nasty uh and there was a what was the other one there was some rotor thing running very low 11s and mm, there yeah. was one car that hit the nines and oh. that was yummy and there was a corvette stingray there running 11s too like a real old one yeah it's nice. like that's fast but the motorbikes were killing it there was a some massive higher busser thing ran uh eight nine it's like ah. giddy up that is fast so that yeah. is scary to buy my god oh yeah it was um so yeah. not not bad not bad for a street meet it was uh pretty good did you go to that car show today Lachlan it said you were interested on Facebooks yesterday no 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 didn't didn't get away didn't get away I went to one last week and uh saw loads of like really cool stuff Mm. um very eclectic mix of of like old school stuff modern stuff Euro American a little bit of everything really really cool yeah variety I like variety <laughs> Spice of life, all the flavors. Thank you. Well, I reckon that'll do. Um, thanks, guys. Great night hanging out again. How much more Pleasure. do we have to go in this book? Have, have either of you looked? Uh, no, I haven't really. All right, I'm going to quickly just My theme right. says we're. What did we get up to? Oh, there's only nine more left. Only nine more left. We might be able to crack it in two more episodes. I reckon. I think so. We're killing it. Good work, guys. Yep. Well, um, for those listening, the Republic wasn't built in a day, and neither middle-aged men, and neither is going through this book. But we are pumping through it. So, good news story. Great way to finish on a high. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you, boys. Cheers.